Welcome into episode 207 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. And this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols and Gongs. If you've not checked out the various effect symbols that Dream uh, offers, you should do so. Check out uh, dreamsymbols.com. Go to the Symbols tab and then click on, there's two two spots, Re-Effects. You'll, you'll see they have the crop circle, which is a circle of bronze been cut out from an old symbol and they've attached some tambourine jingles to it. This is a great way to make your acoustic drum or cymbal sound kind of synthetic and trashy. You can layer it on top of a snare drum, put it on top of cymbals. You can put it inside of a pair of hi-hats. All kinds of cool stuff with that. They also have the uh, Naughty Saucer, which is a similar disc uh, circle of bronze, but there's no jingles to it. And then they also have, um, if you go under the effects cymbals, tab you'll see they have their pre you know pre-packaged sets of stackers which are really cool so you get a pang and a splash that are kind of set to, to marry perfectly with one another you can get a range of different cool trashy uh, short sharp uh, stacker effects with that um, and then there's a bunch of other stuff they have crotales they have all kinds of different chinas and gongs just go to dreamsymbols.com look around for some of the more creative uh, non-symbol items they have for sale and uh let's get this show rolling uh, do you think we'll ever have an episode that doesn't start with us laughing from what we just talked about i hope not and if, if that's the case then i'm done right I mean, yeah call it quits i don't need this <laughs> if this thing gets too serious i'm out i mean i had uh yeah i had some there was some nervous energy here last week because we barely you know we barely got the episode done and there was, you know, mm. those yes. people like, hey, you know, we've got advertisers. Are, are you going to get that show done? I'm like, hey. Oh, yeah. You actually all, work for a company. <laughs> yeah. I was like, let's let's push the brakes here. Yeah, you guys used to not care <laughs> yeah. about our podcast. That was just like the two mics off in the corner, screwing around, yeah. making their little podcast. Mike and now time during lunch, whatever he wants to do. Yep. But I was like, hey, this, we never told anyone that it's guaranteed to come out at noon on Friday. <laughs> It can come out on Monday if it has to. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. It'll be all good. Yeah. And the the weird thing about a podcast is it, it has become at least what magazines were for me, which is in the past, if I found an issue of Modern Drummer, it didn't matter whether it was current or not because there was so much information in it yeah, that I was like, oh, cool. I just I wonder what grooves they broke down. And the podcast is similar because we're not reporting news. So you can listen to this two weeks from now or two years from now. And the information about a bearing edge has not changed. Yeah. And that said, you have uh, 24 hours to enter to win the <laughs> Zonar giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm done with you. Chill. <laughs> we'll go for a walk. Let's go. No, but for real, if you're listening to this and it's not uh, past August 31st, you can still enter to win that Sonar Vintage Series kit. Go to moderndrummer.com, enter to win it. Uh, but if you're listening to this after August 31st, sucks to be you. You can't win it. Wow. <laughs> wow. Drop the sucks to be you. I'm in trouble, by the way. I just yelled, do you want to go for a WALK? And, and Juno came running. Yeah, now it's She's over. like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, right, Dad. See you. Okay, uh, Juno, I love you, and I will take you for one of those in one hour. But right now, I have to, I have to work with Uncle Mike. Okay, okay, I love you. Go, go, lay down, baby. Uh, All right, goodness gracious, on? how you doing, bud? I'm good. I think so. All's, I was good. The next week is going to be crazy. And, um, I've got what is it? Seven days of gigs and full time work, and then finally a little bit of vacation. So I, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel next weekend. But for now, I'm just gearing up. I'm just taking my vitamins, getting healthy, because <laughs> it's going to be a long. Yeah, week. man, it's tough when you. But for me, 
the nine to five is like the is the easy part. It's going straight to a gig. It's shifting that mindset of, you know, I'm I'm editing versus now I've got to perform. That's that's tough. Like there's no there's no break. Like I get like an hour in between the two. Wow. That's pretty tough. So yeah, you know, I always marvel at the the guys like Sput and Stanton Moore and countless others that do Jazz Fest, and they when they give me their rundown mm-hmm. of Jazz Fest in New Orleans. And it's it's just insane. I mean, it's sometimes twenty gigs in four days. I'm like what? That's not that's not even possible. And then you know you realize okay, there's kits at each place, so they're not bringing kits. They're not setting up. They run in the door, but yeah, they, and they go till four a.m. every day. I'm like, yeah. does it take a month to recover from that? That's insane. Yeah, I have a hard time getting the adrenaline up. You know, like I I yeah. kind of get chill, and then I get to the gig and I get pumped up, but then immediately afterwards it's like a dump, and I'm like, oh man, I'm I'm totally destroyed. But then I got to do it again the next day. Anyway, I'm not complaining, but it's going to be an exciting long week coming up here. Well, I wish you the best of luck. I'm spending this the rest of this week and next week prepping for. I'm headed to Amsterdam, and I haven't been there since I toured uh, back in my early 20s, and I definitely was too much of a spoiled little punk to take any advantage of sightseeing or seeing the city. And everyone tells me how beautiful it is. Obviously when I was in my twenties, the only reason to go there was because weed was legal and the red light district (laughs) as, as a decent looking 20 year old, I didn't need the red light district. (laughs) I can, I can do fine on my own. (laughs) Sorry to say. And then I didn't smoke weed. So there was no real reason for me to be there. So I didn't have a lot of fun, but I'm excited to go there. Why are you going to Amsterdam? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, because I'm not as good looking as I used to know. Um, uh, I'm going there to speak at a conference. So I'm speaking on behalf of Adobe at a giant conference called IBC. So IBC 2019. It's, uh, let's see, the conference. 400 inspirational speakers, including game-changing keynotes, will speak in this year's conference, uh, including Andy Serkis, who played Gollum in Lord of the Rings and uh, the... Senior VP of Sony Pictures Entertainment. It's it's kind of insane. So what is uh, the so, overriding point of the whole thing? So uh, so this is. Ju- um, I feel like I'm crushing it right now. <laughs> and you're fired. <laughs> and, uh, the, uh, so this is a technology conference mainly geared towards broadcasters, television. So it's all film and technology. Okay. And so Adobe invited me to speak on their behalf. And my job is to show people how I've made a career without majoring in any of these things like i'm not a filmmaker i'm not an audio engineer but i have to use all those things every day so every day i get to work i might take a picture i immediately throw that into lightroom get the colors all dialed in then i throw that into photoshop and make my flyer for whatever event i've got coming up then i go film some stuff i edit that in adobe premiere then i throw some graphics on top with after effects so my day is kind of run around adobe products and this isn't something where they came to me and then I started using their stuff. This is something where, because I'm a PC guy, I've always had to use it mm-hmm. from the beginning, where now I have choices. But back in the day, if you wanted to edit on a Mac, then you used Final Cut. And if you wanted to edit on a PC, you used Adobe mm-hmm. Premiere. And those were your choices. So this is something that's been going on for a long time. So I think the reason they're bringing me in is to speak to... Even if, even though the room will be filled with professional broadcasters and television people, even somebody that's on TV every day, which is 
obviously I've gone from drums to try to be on camera and make good videos. Well, that person on TV must do something else in their life besides that, that they're more passionate about. Maybe it's cooking, maybe it's, Mm, you know, fashion, design, anything. So my job is to say, Hey, that thing that really fuels your day, you can make a living from that. And I'll show you how. And so Mm, that's really the goal. So I'll be going there. Uh, I'll be speaking. If you guys are in Amsterdam and want to attend this event, I will be speaking on the 14th. I think I just lied to you. The 15th, 16th, and 17th. So I have a drum camp that goes until the 13th. On the 14th, I fly to Amsterdam, and then I'm speaking 15th, 16th, and 17th on the Adobe stage every day. That's in September? Yeah, September 15th, 16th, and 17th. So I'm kind of freaking out. Just I'm not freaking out. I'm just putting everything I have into this. Uh, so I've got something that I'm working on for my drumming, and then every day I'm working on this speech. And it's a 30-minute speech with no drums. Oh, man. That's a little different yeah, for me. That's that's like being the, the lead singer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, usually it's walk out, sit behind the kit, establish it, at least a little bit of, hey, I can do this. So whatever happens after this, we're going to be, you know, (laughs) at least I can do that. Uh, This is just walk out to the stage. So, uh, you know, I've done a TED Talk, and that was 10 minutes with no drum set. This is 30 minutes with no drum set. But I assume you're going to fly in video of you playing drums. There will be – so Adobe – do you remember when Adobe actually came here to the studio? Oh, right, yeah. Yep, yep. So so this event is where that video finally comes out. So. Uh That'll be like the what they call the sizzle reel. And so they'll play that video to the crowd. Then I'll walk out on the stage. And then my 30 minutes starts. And then pretty much it's walking them through my day and how I use these products. And then giving them tips how to build their own career that's not related to Adobe whatsoever. So, yeah. So it's at no point will I be like, let's just sit back and eat up 45 <laughs> seconds of me ripping chops. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be cool. So, I, I mean, the, so are you structuring it similar to you would a clinic? Like you've got your your peaks and valleys kind of dialed in. Yes. And maybe here's your I time know, to joke and here's your time to be yes. serious. And I'm assuming it's a very, very international crowd so i don't know how funny i can be until literally i'm on stage Mm. you know there will be a tester a tester piece of humor that will let me know can we go in this direction or not (laughs) and if not then i have to go straight to serious and hit them in the heart uh head and heart head and heart and then my goal would be head heart and laughter if i can do those three things then i feel like i will at least bring something to their day even if they're just coming in there to sit down because they've been at a conference all day yeah, I know yeah. you've done that at Nam. I've done that at Nam a ton of times. Oh, yeah. Where I'm like, where's the air uh, conditioning? <laughs> humbucker pickups? Yeah, I'll sit right here and I just sit at like some lame speech just so I can get through. Just because I'm tired of walking. So, uh, so that's the goal. So that'll be at IBC 2019 in Amsterdam. Then I'll come home from that uh, and then do a teacher camp. And then I think that's almost it. I have one trip coming up to Singapore. Other than that, I'm kind of done traveling for the year. So. It's good stuff. Take it. <clears throat> well, I do yeah, have my, uh, my London clinic. If you haven't heard, it is, what did I say? The date is September 24th. It's a Tuesday night. I think that's right. Yep, September 24th. I'm at Tile Yard Studios in London. That's a 6.30 to 10.30 slot of time. It's going to be a lot of just hanging out, playing some drums, taking questions, whatever. Whatever we want to do. So if you're in London, come to Tile Yard Studios, September 24th. Uh, it's a ten ten pound is the the ticket price. I found out that's the <laughs> that's the that's, that's the, the current currency. currency. 
Yeah. But yeah, that's September. But it doesn't matter. No one says it anyways. They're going to call it quid. They're going to call it. I don't know. And whatever they say, you just understand like, okay, well, you had a number and then you said a word. I'm assuming that's money. <laughs> ten things. That's currency. <laughs> yeah, ten things of yours. Uh, okay, speaking of London, let's get into our educational segment. So yep. we're talking about those in-between-the-crack beats. Are they structured? Are they on a grid? Are they quantized? And this is relating to our featured artist, Mr. Richard Spaven. It's a tough thing, and I've always wondered that myself. Is there a grid that this all matches up to? Mm-hmm. Now, in the past, if I heard, if somebody sent me a track and said, hey, I want you to play drums on this, and there was no rhythm track whatsoever, no drums, obviously, but obviously no, or no percussion as well, the first thing I do is I sing a couple grids and find out what is this rhythmically matching up to. Mm-hmm. And if the groove kind of swings, then I'm going to sing some eighth note triplets and find out, okay, it's not that loose of a swing. Let me go to 16th notes. It's more swung than that. And then I'm eventually singing. And if everything fits in, it's like, okay, cool. Now I've got a mental grid of time. Mm, we are okay. locking our notes up to these things. If I hear boom, do do cat, but do 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 cat. And I sing the grids won't match. So I sing cool. The grid is 16th notes. Now I know what everything's going to match up to. When you have, Oh, cat, then i'm wondering is there a grid that in pro tools or in logic that everything is matched up to or is it a quarter note pulse or or an eighth note pulse and then you're kind of just loping into that with that egg factor the egg rolling down the hill so you had an audio example of this right yeah i think it's probably best to start by demonstrating so we've got what i had um I guess we should back up. If you haven't checked out the September issue yet, we have a, a style analysis on Richard Spavin. So we transcribed a ton of his beats, and we're going to kind of go through most of them here with some audio examples. But there's one in particular. It's the song Angel by Jose James, where it kind of is the perfect example of this wobbly funk feel that that's super trendy right now. Um, so what I did was I took the MIDI from the notation that we ran put it into Ableton Live and just spit it out completely quantized, 100% against the grid. So you're going to hear that in the beginning, and then it's going to immediately transition into what is actually from the track. So the notes are 100% identical, but the feel is night and day different. So let's just listen to it first, and then we'll kind of talk about what we're hearing. That's what I was. That's what I was saying. Is okay. What is the grid? So in Ableton, since I don't work in Ableton, I don't know. I'm assuming they don't have a swing meter. There, yeah, there's a, there's different templates. Like you can grab the swing feel from an MPC and and superimpose. Oh, you can. It. Yeah, I didn't even try to do that. I just wanted to see. Really, the the big for me, I wanted to figure out what is he playing that's actually in time, and then what's not in time. Right. Right. And what I found was his backbeat is always 100% on two and four. Okay. So that doesn't move. The, the backbeat is was locking. That's like the pin that's keeping the groove together. 
So Wonderful. that doesn't change. So there is no like flamming the backbeat, which I might have thought was happening. It's not okay. the backbeat is on two and four, or two, four, and six in this case. So it's sure. the hi hat that's kind of not lining up, and the bass drum spacing okay. is not lining up. But the one and the two and the four is always right on the grid. So it's it's this rubber band between the beats that's creating that feel. Okay. So real quick, just for any of you that might be listening that are somewhat new to the drums or have never really gotten into the swing feel of what you're playing, when we talk about we're talking about any of the notes that are, in this case, in between the straight eighth notes. So if we have straight eighth notes on the right hand, one and two and, and we fill in the 16th notes with the left hand, one E and a two E and a... If I start to move that left hand, the E's and the U's, backwards in time without moving my right hand, eventually they'll come together. So in between, straight in between, and both hands playing together, there's some swing feel. So I start here, pull it back a little bit, and then you get that thing that I was talking about, the egg factor, where the egg's rolling down a hill. And one of the things that's tough with this is you can usually grid that swing to triplets. If you have the first and the last of three triplets, one and a two and a three and a four, and you can have that feel. This is not that. Yeah, no. <laughs> and this is, and that's where you, we get the term that we would use with people where we'd say it's greasy, it's in between the cracks, it's got that zigaboo feel, yeah. New Orleans feel. But this, I would assume, just from knowing Richard, this is less New Orleans and much more Jay Dilla. Yeah, I don't know what. I mean, I would assume that's where all this stuff is kind of stemming from. But I think we've—it's all evolved so far. I think at this yes. point, like I don't think for me, and I'm not an expert. I think when we say did Jay Dilla feel, I think we're we're kind of simplifying. It's kind of been distilled down to this one thing, this thing. But that right. not every Dilla yeah. production has this. Obviously. No, and the other thing is drummers have taken this thing so far. It's its its own thing now. I, I will say from watching Richard do this and watching him give a class on it, he's not mathematically trying to do anything. And that he was very clear about that. I'm not playing quintuplets. Mm-hmm. I'm not gridding quintuplets in my head. I've listened to this music. I grew up with this music. I love this music. I've toured on this music. I'm just playing drums. This is the feel. I'm not trying to make a feel. This is the feel. <laughs> right. And I think that that's one thing where you can tell right away if and uh, Ash was speaking about this as well, he said he he had like one beat that he can do this with that he's worked on that he doesn't have to think about it. He actually can do it. He can do it at any time. Mm-hmm. Anything else, he'd be trying to do it. And you kind of know, okay, I'm trying to do that thing. Well, then you're not doing that thing. It's like trying. If you're doing to, that thing, you're not trying. Yeah, it's like trying to do a a German accent or something. Either you Correct. speak it and you have it and it's fluent, or you're you're putting on a character and it's always going to be a cartoon version of what you're trying to do, always. And I think you can hear, especially if you're if you've listened to this stuff, you can hear when somebody's trying to do that. It's almost like they're they're not making fun of it, but it's like, oh, let me just do this because I got to get it out of the way, rather than no, I, I've lived this stuff. Yeah. I always go back to Will Kennedy's term, fellowshipping. Like Richard has fellowshipped with this. And it just is him. He's not trying to do it. I can't imagine that he goes, oh, yeah, let me give that a go. <laughs> like, this is him just playing music. And it's just the way it is. Yeah, that reminds um, me. I've, um, if you don't follow Nicholas Payton, the trumpet player on Instagram, mm. 
you should because he is very opinionated and very experienced in uh, what he considers to be black American music. And just the other yes. day, he posted a two-part short essay on drumming and comping and what it means to actually comp and how to do it right and how to sound like a jackass. And he really kind of really? distills it down to you've got to know the language. You've got to know when one musician plays something, there's a there's a code, so you have to know the answers to what they're playing or otherwise you're just missing out on the conversation. And I think this is similar. Like, it's it's a language. It's a dialect. And if you don't really know it, if you haven't, if you're not fluent in this language, you're always going to sound like you're putting on a fake accent, and it's always going to come well, across that way. And that's, I don't even right. try it because I'm like, okay, that's not my world. I'll leave that to the people who live in that right. world. It's not my vibe. Well, and I think I think jazz is a great analogy. Like I can learn all of the jazz independence I want, but until I fall in love with the music, gig the music, fellowship with it it's always going to sound like a teacher playing jazz patterns, which is yeah. admittedly what I've always tried to make sure my students know. I will happily teach you this, but I am an educated drummer playing jazz patterns. I'm not playing the music because I haven't fellowshiped with the music the way that I would have to to get the right sound. And I honestly, I don't mind that at all. That's who I am, and I'm not going to chase a bunch of things that don't make me happy, but I can also hear when a... Uh, a jazz guy goes into this four bar rock phrase because the chart says rock beat. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, clearly, clearly you've never, <laughs> yeah, you've it goes never both been ways. in a, it definitely goes both ways. Yeah. Or, or it goes always. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to sound like a Californian every time I play a bossa Nova. It's like, well, I didn't grow up in Brazil. So I think that when you hear this and you hear somebody do it like Richard, the the thing that's tough just to get back to our point of quantized or felt is so you, I'm assuming that you're of the opinion that when you hear this, the grid is either a quarter note or an eighth note, and then he's feeling the subdivisions in between. Yeah. I mean, I, I, he could probably answer that question, obviously, better than we could. But what just by looking at it on a computer where I could see where things were landing, he's got targets that are always in time, and then everything else mm-hmm. is, is flexible. And I think that's wow. that's the important part of having some kind of anchor, if it's your backbeat or if it, even if it's just the one. but. There's something that's always in time. It's not like everything is just spinning around the pulse at all times. There's something that's always dead on. So I think that's, for me, what makes it convincing. Like his backbeat is unquestionably on two and four. Everything else, right. it's expanding, it's contracting, it's, it's very rubbery. But those backbeats... I was going to ask you, as far as his hi-hats that are then flexible, did you notice them to be expanding and contracting or did you notice that he was always early or always late this one was pretty consistent why don't we listen to it again okay. I'll just drop it in again okay yeah just want to tell you feeling so fine just want to taste you sure you don't mind so what I'm hearing is it's almost like an optical illusion. It sounds like his hi-hat is, is moving around because everything else is. I think the mm-hmm. ands might be just a little bit delayed, but not as much as you think. But it's really because everything else is is expanding and rubbery. Yeah. Well, that's a, another point that we haven't talked about yet is you can do this. But if your band isn't familiar with it as well, oh, yeah, you're going to have some big fights. <laughs> forget about and it. Ash was relaying a story that he was actually, he got to hear Voodoo before Voodoo came out 
And Pino was actually the one that showed it to him. And Pino said, yo, I just did something that is going to change music forever. You got to hear this album. Mm. And everyone that Pino was showing it to was saying, like, it's it's not only is it not good, it's wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and he was saying, okay, I'm telling you, it's going to change everything. And obviously it did. Uh, but he was saying, he was talking about how he had to feel the drums and so that he could play bass as far back as he did. But there's such a trust between the drummer and the bass player. Like, don't follow me. Mm. I know what I'm doing. You're not rushing. <laughs> I'm just pulling back. <laughs> and if the drummer keeps pulling back to match the bass player, you're slowing down. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's one. <laughs> it's a drop in BPM. <laughs> so, yeah, so not only do you have to be versed in this, but so do the musicians you're playing with. I would think the entire band has to be really fluent in this before you even yes. think about it otherwise just play in time because it's hard enough for us to just play in time you know yes play steady yeah, play absolutely. strong play confident but yeah if this is your world i think you got to find like-minded people who are into it as well right um, well i think it, it still comes down to the same point you got to be into the music if you're not into this if you're not gigging it if you're not going to see it live listening to the albums it's not going to soak into your drumming dna and until that happens you can't just out intellectualize this whole thing so hopefully you guys are happily confused as you drive down the motorway <laughs> so the rest of the 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 songs we transcribed again it kind of goes back to what i was saying about with jay dilla we identify him with that feel but that's like one percent ten percent of what he does so the other things we transcribed are way more kind of consistently subdivided but no less interesting and, and intricate so let's go through a couple of them okay the first so are we now on our featured artist section yeah and have we left and education, kind of education behind as well so we're, we're still okay. analyzing richard spaven's beats <laughs> Uh, which is all transcribed if you want the notation in the magazine but the first one is the song called 1759 outro um yes we're going to just drop it in first and then we'll discuss it so this is taken from the actual track That's Richard. Yeah. It's all in 4-4. Four, four. Right. And those damn keys going to mess you up. Don't listen to them. <laughs> yeah. Just listen to the beat. Boom. But those keys come in. Ha-ting. Ka-pling. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, is, that, is that the downbeat? As I was editing these excerpts together, I kind of realized that this stuff sounds really complicated, but when you break it down, it's actually quite simple. It's a funky drum beat. And then spacious keyboards that are just, they're phrasing on the offbeats. They're not always hitting the obvious spot. So there might be something strong on the one for two bars, and then you might displace it by an eighth note. But the drums don't change. But he's still, it's very spacious. The arrangements are pretty sparse. It's like a Rhodes and maybe some loops and bass and drums, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the other thing that you get out of watching. Richard do this is those keys he knows where they are because in that little excerpt he didn't do it but he'll crash on any of those 
at any time or he'll improvise into those hits so he knows exactly where everything is in time there's no yeah. guesswork it sounds random but it's actually like a six bar cycle or something and those are right. those are hitting on the ends of one most of the time in that particular excerpt it, really cool stuff so um, the next one we already did Angel um, we could always listen to it again but we already did Angel let's do about- uh, North Star boom so this one Let's listen to it first, so before I, we get nerdy with it, let's just listen to North Star. The road is weary, hard to tread. City lights lay shadows deep. The measure of your voice brings soft words unspoken. Treasures glow So we have another one where we, you and I haven't discussed this, and I definitely don't know this song from Rip, Richard's repertoire, but it sounds like the snare is exactly on two and four, and the hi-hats are bending around it again. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's it's pretty... Yeah, this one's pretty precise. The hi-hat is, has a little bit of flexibility. Um, but I think right. the, the the magic is the, of this one for me is his, his hands are playing a 4-4 ostinato. But the song is actually in six four. So the bass line, the the guitar hits are cycling through this six beat thing. Plus, yeah. there's a displacement after the third bar, or something like that. But it's all in six four. So his hands, it sounds like his hands are improvising, but they're really just playing in four four over six four. Right. So it, it keeps right. his pattern keeps, it keeps shifting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the back yeah, beats are always on cool two, two four and six. That one's really cool. And then. Later on, that that little displacement that they hint at in the intro with the guitar and keys, it becomes the phrasing of the verse. So you hear the the hits are on the one uh, and then it's on the and of six and the e of one in the next bar. Wow! So it's, uh, it's one thing I do want to. Oh, go ahead. I'll say it's just like subtle, simple little arrangement, compositional devices that sound so crazy. But it really, if you boil it down. It's not that complex. It's a 4-4 hand part. It's a 6-4 keyboard and guitar part that has a couple displacements within that phrase. That's it. I think he's giving us or giving the modern generation of music fans exactly what Sting and Vinny gave us, which was I can choose to turn my brain off and just listen to a great song or I can activate my brain and try to figure this out and realize how brilliant it is. And that's a tough balance to find. The other thing I want to say is spending time with Richard. So I've done two events with him now, two major events, the UK drum show and then a drum festival in Spain. And then we just spent some time together in Ireland. And I can promise you without any manipulation, that's exactly what his drums sound like. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's, I mean, when I sat down and played his kit, it sounded like a drum set. Mm. It didn't sound like samples. It sounded like a drum set. He's got normal minor Byzance extra dry cymbals. He's got a Yamaha. I think maybe, I mean, I don't know what his kit is, but he was playing a Maple Custom Absolute, I think, at some of the events. Normal drum heads. Everything's normal. But when he plays it, the way he grips the sticks, the way that he hits the drums, the the everything that's in him makes the drums sound just like that in that track. It's incredible. And it's... I could be wrong, but I think he plays quite lightly at all times. It's, it's a light, oh, he does. a light touch. He does, and he uses that lightness to his advantage. When he finally nails a crash cymbal, it's 
he's actually hitting it extremely normal, but it seems like a massive explosion mm-hmm. because everything's been so delicate. But it's it's something that you probably experience a lot on the East Coast, or at least in New York, because of your club scene. But it's delicate with complete fiery intensity. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the art. You know, it's yeah. not. He's it's not, not bored. Yeah, yeah. No, and it reminds me a lot of what initially drew me to Mark, which was. How are you playing that intense, that quiet? And he's like, "You should see the clubs I have to play." Yeah, that's the New York. That's the New York thing. If you can't play quiet right. and and still blow people's hair back, then you ain't you aren't doing it. <laughs> oh God, it's crazy! It's crazy. I wish we would. Uh, I, I could have used some of that in my teen years. <laughs> Instead, it was like, "How come you don't hit as hard as Abe Cunningham?" I'm like, "I'm trying. My hands hurt. <laughs> I can't do it anymore." All right, you want to listen to something All else? All right, this one is called Whole Other. This is also in four four but it it doesn't quite sound like it. Let's check it out. we don't have to do a top five of favorite drummers anytime soon because I might have to kick someone out. I think Richards just made the cut. Yeah. That's it's just a, so good. It's such a choppy, syncopated hi-hat figure, but then once that snare comes in on three, everything is like, oh, obviously that's what he's doing. But it doesn't oh. sound that way in the beginning. You're like, what is he doing? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's it's so cool. And, and hearing him explain these things causes you to realize a lot of times it was conceptualized before it was played. So the idea was there. Then he had to sit down and learn how to do it on the drum set. Um, and I don't know for every song, but I know for a few songs, he programs the drums first and then figures out, okay, how am I going to pull this off? And then learns how to do it. But I, and I totally identify with that seeing it programmed, especially if you're doing it visually, like on some, you know, whatever you use. But when I do it on the Groove Scribe, seeing it mm-hmm. and seeing where everything lines up, even if it's just notation, you don't even have to program it, program it. Then it makes more sense to me. And I figure out, okay, I got it. That is my right hand part. That's what my left hand's going to do. That's where it fits. And I think that that's also a, a hybrid of somebody that maybe grew up with a drum machine in their world and played with their fingers, yep. but then was also a drummer and thought, okay, well, I was smart enough to think of this. Now I got to go play the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, for real. And if you want to analyze this one theoretically, he's utilizing a lot of uh, groups of three, sixteenth notes grouped in three. He'll play, you know, that it happens not always on the downbeat. That's kind of what makes it sound super crazy. Right. But he does a lot of that, like dotted eighth, sixteenth, dotted eighth, sixteenth kind sure. of vibe. And that one's really cool. I want to listen to that one again, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Also, that big low bass hit that, that sounds like a one, that's on B2, right. of course. <laughs> Jerk. Yeah, and you know what's funny is even just a simple thing like taking that dotted eighth feel, uh, if we had one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, 
three, just taking that and splitting it between two surfaces for a quick second, like a set of hi-hats and then a stacker, just that throws you off enough to not know. If you just stay on the same damn instrument, I (laughs) can't tell if I'm inspired or frustrated or both. I'm inspired. Here's one that's going to probably throw your ear out the window. If we're playing the self, then. Not yet. We're doing Toco. Okay. This one, it took me half a dozen listens to finally hear where the downbeat is, so I, I think we should probably just play it first, and then we'll kind of reveal the secret. Okay. <laughs> So it, <laughs> that's one of those illusion songs where I think I had to see it written before. I'm like, where is the one? And then which instrument is really giving me the one? First of all, it's three bars of six, eight, and then a bar seven, eight. So that's enough to confuse you. But it's really the bass guitar that, that finally I could hear it. So the bass drum, whether you heard it that way or not, is playing dotted quarters throughout. So it's just anchoring the whole groove. Let's drop it in again and now listen for the bass drum to anchor it. say it was a bad choice to make friends with some of the greatest drummers on the planet it's highly depressing <laughs> i'm done i'm done i'm only going to make friends with you if you've played for less than five years i mean but you know it, no, it's I mean, really diving deep into it's just this smart drumming it reveals to me that the concept of simple concept can be really effective if you just do it in a very tasteful subtle way i mean it's it's six yeah. eight six 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 eight seven eight seven eight and the bass drum is just playing the pulse but it's everything else that's that's totally throwing you for a loop. So cool. All right, are we going to spin or the self? Let's do the self next. Let's just shut our listeners down with this one. Okay, so get rid of the music and get rid of the hi-hat. This is shockingly simple. Yeah. It's almost unfair how simple it is compared to how hard it is to hear it. Yeah, and if I, honestly, if I wasn't looking at the notation, I wouldn't have been able to hear it for a while. It would have taken me now, a while. He explained it to me once in Spain. It's still, when I got home, I was like, no, I think he's wrong. Uh, and then, because I literally had him write it down on a napkin for me. 
Then he did a full class on it at 21 Drums. And what was really cool was he just had a click going and said, okay, let's just learn the kick pattern. Mm. It was nothing. Then we put in the snare. It was no big deal. <laughs> yeah, the snare's on And three. everyone got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everyone got it. And then he put in the hi-hat. And, oh, and by the way, he, he said that when he started this, he was playing eighth notes on the hi-hat. Uh. And that's what allowed him to lock to it. Then he changed the hi-hat, and that's when it became what it is. And it's... Oof. So the, if you're not looking at the notation, the bass drum and the bass starts on the E of one, and then it hits on two. So it's the E of one and two. That's uh-huh. that's the anchor. And then the snare drum is on three. So one E and a two, E and a three, E and a four, E and a one. E and a two, E and a three, yep. E and a four, E and a... But that, yeah, that and I had is... the problem is you hear that first bass as one E end up. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're done. That's the... <laughs> yeah. It's over. Yeah. It's over. It's like, how hard would it have been to track this and give us a nice little rim click on one? <laughs> would have helped so much. Well, the, the <laughs> hi-hat starts the song on beat four, if that helps you. It does not. <laughs> four six eighth notes, four E and a one E. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Can we hear it one more time, please? So, yeah, the first note you hear is beat four. It's four sixteenth notes on beat four. Okay. Sounds so much simpler when you know what the hell's going on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm telling you guys, if if you if you get a chance, if Richard's doing 21 drums next year, go to it or go see him uh, wherever he's doing a clinic near you. Because once he takes out that hi hat, it really does make it a lot easier. And then uh, the the singer who I can't remember his name right now, but I have I follow him on Instagram and have his album. Uh, Jordan Jordan Rakai. Rakai. So Jordan Rakai having the ability to sing over that is incredible as well um, because he has this just very slow legato vocal line that goes over this whole song but it's locked and it just it also creates more tension because since he isn't singing super syncopated and and mm-hmm. right on the one you don't you're still lost you're like oh i thought i'd at least get it when the vocals came in i mean have you ever been in a band where the other band members understand rhythm to this level i can't say no. that i have like it's no. that's a special group of people. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that I, I've talked to Richard about this, um, about Jordan actually wanting this, because you have to make the decision: do you want a pop hit or do you want to go down a totally different rabbit hole that's going to cause you to have a very different audience mm. and probably, most likely, a much smaller audience? And he wants this, and he's going for the art, which is absolutely incredible all right well let's drop in one more this is probably the one this is probably the song i heard first of, of richard it's called spin is it spin yeah yeah and his his right hand is, is smoking so it's it's a re- repetitive pattern essentially of two sixteenths and an eighth note one e and two e and three e and four e and all the way through but everything else makes it even equally crazy so the bpm is around 160 so it's quick now he is playing this with two hands just so you know this isn't right, right, right. It's right, left, right. Ah, uh, okay. There we go. Oh, did you think it was one hand? I had no idea. That I mean, would it, be yeah. that would be motabulating. 
That's not a word. Here we go. Let's give it a listen. that reminds me of up-tempo jazz or up-tempo shout music, up-tempo punk rock, where I would get scared, I'm going to flip this. Mm-hmm. It's going to go from da-da-chit, da-da-chit, da-chit, da-da-chit, da-da-chit. Because the kick isn't, you know, he's not playing four on the floor to give him that balance. So you have to really internalize the pulse. And like you said, this thing is moving. Oh my goodness. Like in many of his examples, he anchors it with the beat three, snare drum will beat three, every other bar, essentially with a few variations but that's like his anchor I feel like he's aiming for that like everything's cool as long as that snare is in time on B3 bar (laughs) 2 yeah because and that's I think maybe the brilliance of Richard's playing in this arena is that there's enough repetition that you know that he knows what he's doing Mm mm-hmm but there's not so much that you can figure it out by listening to it in 10 seconds. No. I mean, I would say... It sounds improvised and through composed at the exact same time. If I didn't have this cheat sheet in front of me, I wouldn't. it would have taken me all day to figure these things out, for sure. And it reminds me of, like, uh, Nintendo Power. Remember that? <laughs> Where you could get the, the maps for, like, Metroid and Zelda. If you had the maps, you can win the game easy, but... You know, Somebody I had to kind draw of missed. The maps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I missed out on the uh, on the video game craze. So I'm going to take your word for it. It's the, it might be the first time you've out nerded oh, me in man, quite a while. Come on, someone listening had the Nintendo Power Book. <laughs> it had like all of the Metroid level maps and Zelda. I've never even seen Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. I don't <laughs> hey, know what you're talking no, about. These just... are not even close to being related. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Zelda's real. All right, Nintendo games here. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Now I will say, check out the podcast tech stuff. <laughs> Honestly, if you guys want to hear a breakdown of the eight bit creation of the entire, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, it's um, the one about the soundtrack show. They do a whole breakdown of creating a soundtrack in eight bit for Super Mario Brothers, and it is oh, fascinating. What is that called? The way that uh, it's called the soundtrack show. Okay, cool. Yeah, check it out. It's really, really well done, and they go through the whole history of creating that part and how every time you jump in Super Mario Brothers, you have to lose a tone from the soundtrack because there's not enough. <laughs> That's amazing. You only have so many options. <laughs> so if you jump, you got to. It's like all right. Well, then we're going to lose the D flat minor. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, man. Uh, I was going to say right. now back to drum nerd. Um, this has been an awesome segment for me personally because analyzing the simplicity of his composition but the sophistication of concept that's kind of the thing like it's it's yeah. simple simple ideas but the concept is pretty sophisticated it had me think you know I wrote these tunes in grad school that I never actually finished and now I'm like digging them up and I'm like I'm gonna do because wow. I had because I always had this fear of nothing I write is is cool enough or complex enough or sophisticated mm. enough Sure. Then I hear the stuff he's doing where he just has keyboard stabs with really cool <laughs> drum parts. I'm like, I've got yeah. one of those. I wrote one that's in 12-tone in tune I did in grad school. So I already dug it out. I already started rearranging it this really? morning. I'm like, all right, thank you, Richard Spaven. I'm finally going. I think I'm going to actually play that song at the London Clinic now. 
That's my goal. Whoa. I'm going to finish it, and I'm going That's to play it. That's a huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool, man. That's really cool. So thank you, Spaven. Well and what done. I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to try to do, because it's it's a 12-tone thing, so it's it's the rules with 12-tone is you can't repeat notes. You have to use the entire scale for something. So it's a bass line, and I'm going to chop it up into a measure, and then a two-measure version, and then a four-measure version, and I'm going to be triggering them in real time from an SPDS pad. We shall see. Wow, so I'm going to be that's triggering awesome. the bass line, and it'll be four different versions of it. Maybe not. So if you're expecting to see that when you come to the London Clinic, I don't like, no guarantees, but that's the goal. I'm saying okay. it now. But you're going for it. <laughs> I'm saying it now. Well, I wish you the best, man. Uh, everyone, check out Richard Spaven. You can go to richardspaven.com, uh, see his full discography there. A lot of stuff with Jose James uh, and Jordan Rakai, but he has his own stuff. And the other thing is... Uh, I think his newest album is Whole Other. But you can check out on iTunes. There's quite a few of his stuff that uh, or quite a few of his uh, recordings that are drumless. So he puts out drumless versions of his tracks as well. So check that out. That's just at richardspaven.com. And then if you want to follow him on Instagram, I believe it's just uh, Spaven23, I think. Uh, Let me check it out. At Spaven twenty three, so cool. Follow him there as well. All right, so, we are, are we diving into some snare drum love. We will after we thank our sponsor, Dream Symbols. Um, reminds me, we're talking about this acoustic drums that can make sound kind of electronic. Dream has a bunch of stuff you could do that with. So check out their crop circle, their naughty saucer, um, and also they they do this recycling thing where they'll take you know old symbols and just chop out the bells so you get a bunch of different variations of like symbol bells that are kind of like chimes that you can put on your snare drum and stuff um, and they have like crotales tons of stuff besides just the symbol side of what they do so go to dreamsymbols.com check That's out awesome. all the the crazy cool creative stuff that they're working on um, I love the stackers they have really some really nice little stackers and stuff so thanks Dream for sponsoring the episode now let's talk about this Craviato Heritage Series snare drum. Uh, let me pull up the, the data on this. So this is, this was a couple years ago, they put out the Johnny C um, Tribute Series snare. So it's a six, a six by 14 single ply maple shell with, uh, instead of the cast, instead of the tube lugs, it has like a cast diamond shaped mm-hmm. lug. That came out a few years ago, did so well that they decided to up it for this past year and revamp it as the Heritage Series and put a nice diamond inlay in it. So it's essentially the same same drum, but with this diamond inlay. Um, it is a, I'm pretty sure, yeah, six, six, six by, and a half. It's six by 14. That's only one size. Oh, really? Yep. One oh, size. Oh, man. You got you to gotta change your YouTube video. Uh-oh. Yeah, it says six and a half by fourteen. Well, it's a six. My my apologies. Okay. <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. I can tell by looking at the video; it's missing half an inch. <laughs> oh man! So it's got thirty degree bearing edges. Uh, it's a great all around workhorse, solid maple snare. So uh, this demo, I am playing it from super high to super low, no muffling. They're using at least it, for this one, they were using Aquarian heads. This is a um, texture coated batter. Um, as opposed to the Remo heads they were using before. I don't know if that's standard now, but that's what the drum came with. So let's check out some of it first.
Nice. And this is sitting in there around that high seven, low eight mark price wise, I think. Yeah, they're somewhere around it's designed there. to not, you know, to be a little bit more of an affordable drum for, for every working drummer's, you know, collection rather than the super high expensive and it, they right. save they're saving money by only having one shell type. There's no special finish. The hardware is is the die cast instead of the uh the brass that they use on the other stuff. But other than that the shell is it's a craviato shell. They're not compromising on the shell or the quality in any way. Uh, yeah, I don't have. There's not a lot that I can say other than this is. If I was going to pick one wood drum, this would be the one for me. It's it does it all. Whoa, whoa! Yeah, I mean, it's it can do it all. Just slow the hell down. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I think there's a few things that separate it from just sounding like a generic drum. Definitely, the 30 degree bearing edges are giving it. A little more warmth and a little less snap, mm-hmm. and just warming up the drum. It sounded to me like high and super high were crushing it, mm-hmm. medium, low, and lower crushing it. And then that medium thing was probably the one that I didn't like the most out of it, but it still sounded great. Uh, there's nothing this drum can't do. I- I'm finding, honestly, as I've gone through this whole snare drum search for the last three years, medium is a tough tuning it is especially wide open you you need a you need a little bit of dampening yes in that that spot but uh but the overtones no matter where you had it the good thing is the overtones no matter where the tuning was were absolutely pure yeah for me if i'm going for that medium tuning which i do often for gigs i inevitably have um, either a a ring on it or at least some kind of a gel or something like that yeah, um, that's yeah. yeah. It's just that's just a swirly spot where you get that combination of of high mid overtones. No matter what, any drum. I mean, every drum. Oh yeah, um, no, absolutely. And what about um, hoops? Are those triple flanged? Yep, standard triple flange hoops. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a beautiful drum. Workhorse drum, and that that inlay is gorgeous. It is. That's a nice touch. I had, I had purchased the previous version, the uh, Johnny C one, which was just a solid maple shell. It's also gorgeous, but this this little diamond inlay gives it that extra extra something. Yeah, something. and it just gives it that craviato thing that we're all chasing yeah, and exactly. been chasing forever. So very cool stuff. And all right, everybody, we'll check that out. Like I said, you can find that on a lot of different websites for in the high seven range. Which for that level of snare drum, I know. If some of you are somewhat new to this world, you think $750 or more for a snare drum is insane. Actually, at this level of quality, it's not insane at all. And this would be a lifer drum, just like Mike was saying. If you just had one wood snare drum, this would do this. This drum would never embarrass you at any point in time. No. Yeah. I don't I don't see any. And I think it'll last forever. And that's a fear. Like, there's nothing cool about an engineer going, what is that snare? And you're like, "Uh, I just spent like a grand on this. Please change your tone, sir. Uh, So this drum will never embarrass you. If anything, it'll be like, hey, what's that snare? That's a great tone. I've definitely had drums that are just too much for the room. That that's happened mm-hmm. often. It's like, what? Can you get something not quite that? <laughs> yeah, no, no. We'll give your drums a try, but uh, we're still going to end up with the house kit in about an hour. Yeah, exactly. So, since you're paying for the time, whatever, we'll tune it up and we'll see how it goes. But you're still playing our Rogers house kit later. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, all right, let's uh, dig into some listener questions for our last bit here. Boom! I'm ready. First one is from Calum. Uh, let's see, where's the actual question? So this one's from Caleb. I used to play in a big band before the summer, and I'm going to start, um, I guess, a music school in Manchester where there's opportunities to start playing in one again. Um, I really enjoy 
playing with a big band, and I, although I understand the concept of hits, my setups don't always flow. Listening to Benny Greb play big band standards um, that I've also played is clear how much more there is to learn and where you can take it. Do you know of anything to help practice my big band playing? Books, DVDs, play-along tracks. Also, top big band recordings that capture big band drummers in the style and where you can take it. Uh, what was the- a lot of information. That could be a whole entire podcast yeah i think we i don't think we can really dig into specifics of how to do setups i think you have to listen to recordings of the great drummers do it um yeah the book that i've recommended often is steve fiddick's book uh i think it's called at first sight it's all about reading and interpreting charts it pretty much answers all of your questions and steve you know is a 20 plus year veteran of playing you know top-notch big band with the army blues so there's no one to to tell you how to do it any better than him. Um, so it's called At First yeah. Sight by Steve Fiddick. I would just start there. I'm not going to go any deeper than yeah. that. There you go. The only one I've used um, is the Steve Houghton book, uh, but it's not just for anthology. Uh, it's called Steve Houghton. Uh, well, there's one called Studio and Big Band Drumming. Yeah. And it comes with play along tracks. Play, I mean, unfortunately, you do have to have a CD player. Yeah, to that get one's this. pretty old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so is big band music. It's not like you need a modern version of it. So, uh, but yeah, I think with, with big band setups, the one thing you want to try to ask yourself when you're hearing somebody do it, I wouldn't worry too much about the notes that are in the setup. I'd be worried about how long was the setup? How much preview time are you giving the audience and the band that there's some hits about to happen, some stabs about to happen? So just literally count time through the ensemble figures and just ask yourself, was it a full beat? Was it a half a beat? Was it two beats? But how long was the setup? Uh, And when I'm teaching students that are working on cover band material, I rarely am trying to get them to actually play the fill that was there because I'm thinking you've got 30 songs that are interchangeable and this is your mm-hmm. first gig. You're not, please don't try to remember the fills. Yeah. Just remember how long they were and what was their intensity. I think, I think in general we focus too much on fills. It's, I totally agree. If you learn the chart and you know what beat the hit is going to be on, you know you the general rule of thumb, at least how it was taught to me, is you always want to stop your setup one quarter note prior to the hit or an eighth note prior to the hit so if it's if the hit's on the end of two you want to stop on two that's the setup you could literally set up the whole band all night doing nothing but playing a snare drum or a bass drum accent one note prior to the hit and you'll be fine all the filler stuff that's where it doesn't for me it's like what are you trying to do are you trying to raise the intensity of the band are you just trying to let the band know hey you're going to do a hit here Here's a triplet, <laughs> you know. It's right. Like, that's your role. For me, Mel Lewis is kind of like the the god of simplicity, knowing the arrangement, not worrying about what his fills are. He just sets them up perfectly. The band's always in the pocket. So yeah, that's. I think I'd never think about what am I going to play. It's just where's the hit and where do I need to stop yep. for them to hit it. Totally agree. Man, I kind of miss playing big band now. All right, so the next one is from James. What are some things that each of you do to practice complete focus while playing? Um, yeah, he's basically talking about how do you guys go about training your brain to stay completely focused for three to four minutes at a time? That's a tough thing. I, I've actually had quite a bit of 
internal experience going through how long can I go before I start to have a conversation about anything other than my playing in my head? When am I having mm-hmm. other thoughts other than the playing? One thing that helps a lot for me is closing my eyes. Closing my eyes allows me to just slip into nothing but music because mm. I have no visual distraction. If you think about all of the data that's streaming into your brain while your eyes are open, you've got shapes, colors, difference between light and dark. Yeah. It, it's insane how much data is being taken up by your eyes being open. So closing my eyes definitely helps a lot. And the other thing is if I'm not actually singing what I'm playing, then I'm kind of on autopilot i'm just going but if i'm really in the moment then i'm actually and i'm not saying singing out loud but if i'm thinking flat to that's different than i'm in four we'll just see what happens mm-hmm. um and that and that, i'm talking about being as present as possible maybe while improvising mm-hmm. now if it's a song it's a very different thing Song, I'm probably not thinking about the drumming that much as much as I'm thinking about the sound, the tempo, the intensity. Yeah. What am I outputting vibe-wise? I, I, I know what I'm playing. I'm playing a song. I know the parts. Two things that I do. Um, one is it's a daily kind of practice. It's like a muscle thing that I practice. I turn, like if I'm at the pad, as soon as the metronome turns on, I've got four counts and i got to go. There's no... There's no mentally warming up to something. If it's click, 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 locked in, 100% focus. There's, you know, if I'm if I'm off the click, I stop and do it again. I don't allow myself to kind of weasel into time, and that's been that's been a great way for me to like. It's almost like a like a um, Pavlov response. Like right. my brain snaps to attention as soon as that metronome starts, and and. I do not allow any distractions. If I get distracted, I got to start over. And that it's taken a while for that to happen, but it's almost feel like a, what was that movie where was it Naked Gun where the baseball player would turn into a murderer as soon as he heard a word or something? You know what I'm talking about? You remember that oh my movie? God. Dude, you are crushing it today. <laughs> do you remember buddy? that movie? No, I don't. It was the whole point. Even if I do, I'm not the whole point was it. they were like, like people became murderers. I can't remember. Gosh. Really, it was like a sound turned him into like murder mode. Okay, and that's and so the click turns you into assassin uh, attention mode. Yeah, it's, it's a yeah, it's you're a, a time assassin. Yeah, so that's been that's been really helpful. Like as soon as I hear four clicks, go, don't don't think about anything else. Like you're on it. So that's been very helpful. The other thing, when you're playing songs, from my experience, because we're the drummer, we can go on physical autopilot, and that's when all hell breaks loose. Right. If you're the bass player, you actually have to know the chords and you have to know the changes, and you can't really do that. If you're the mm-hmm. singer, you've got words coming out of your face, so you can't be thinking about <laughs> other stuff. Words coming <laughs> out of your face. So I learned the bass lines and I learned the lyrics. So at any oh, point, nice. if I feel like I'm I'm falling out of attention, I just start singing the song either out loud or mentally or I start humming the bass line and it immediately mm-hmm. brings me back inside the music and I'm not just letting my body play the parts while I'm thinking about anything else. Love it. Uh, Love it. Those are my there two devices. All right. Well, Hope that helps. Uh, okay. That's it. We're out of time. Let's get to our picks oh, of the week. Sweet. <laughs> sweet. Well, I'm going to use, uh, since I know your pick of the week will be a little bit longer, I'm going to use my pick of the week to just throw it right back to Mr. Spaven. It's just something that I hope you guys will check out. He's a brilliant drummer, an amazing person for sure, and I think that we can all 
get something out of watching him as well as listening. Please go to YouTube and watch it. Listening will bend your mind, and then watching it almost makes it somewhat tangible until you try it, and then you realize you can't do it. But it is it is cool to see him do this stuff because you realize it's on a normal drum set. He's a normal guy. Mm-hmm. He's just playing some really, really, like Mike said, some very simple things but he's taking those simple things and being massively creative with them and so check out mr spaven what is your pick of the week sir we're going to get back into our drum history so this is um this might be the pivot point artist kenny clark is what we're talking about so kenny clark was the transition from the the big band swing era to the bebop era he was mentored by chick webb but he was also the house drummer at uh I believe it was Minton's in Harlem where they basically had jam sessions all night, every night after. So the big bands would play in the ballrooms and do the dance music, and then they would all go to Minton's and jam for hours and do their own music. And that's where Bebop was born. So he was the house drummer. He actually hired the band a lot of time for those jams. Um, He's credited with writing a lot of early Bebop songs or co-writing with Dizzy Gillespie and everyone. So he was the guy in the early transition from uh, big band swing to bebop, which meant the ride symbol became the dominant timekeeper. The left hand is now jabbing to interact with the soloist. The bass drum is no longer keeping time. It's now part of the conversation. Um, I think he gets overlooked, but he's kind of the guy who invented it. Uh, what's kind of unfortunate was he got drafted into the army for World War II and that was when Bebop really took off. So Max Roach mm. was a younger drummer who was kind of following in his footsteps, and he became identified with the Bebop style while Kluke, his nickname, was in the army. <laughs> so then he came back and was like, whoa, now Max is the dude. Um, but there's some wow. pivotal, fi- pivotal records. He was on uh, Miles Davis's first record. A uh, bunch of stuff. So we're going to drop in just a little bit. If you go to YouTube, there's a whole playlist. So if you sh- if you search Kenny Clark, that's C L A R K E, Bebop. There's a whole playlist of him playing. He ended up eventually moving to Paris, and I also think he's probably largely responsible for the entire jazz scene that took over in Europe at the time. Really? Because here wow. was this guy who invented Bebop, and now he's living in Paris, and you get to you know local musicians get to hear it from the source Uh, so this is we're going to drop in a little bit of the tune Bebop genres coming together well obviously one is emerging yeah exactly uh, but you can still hear the big band influence yeah he's setting things up pretty heavy yeah and it's i think seen from afar and not really digging into how the timeline works he just sounds like another bebop drummer you know kind of oh there's some blakey there's a little bit of everything but he was actually the one who largely created that sound so definitely check out kenny clark um he's definitely an unsung hero of that transitional jazz era that's it. Well, 
I got to say, I am really excited to dig into my digital issue of Modern Drummer because I didn't know that the Richard stuff was broken down in there. And I feel like that's a bit of a gift. It's almost like yeah. uh, you shouldn't have this. But, Nintendo uh, power, man. You've got the, you've got the maps. Now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know what that means, but I kind of feel up. like I do. <laughs> I shan't. Dude, not, no, if, if I, that's what I spend my time doing. Something's wrong, it was, but it, I will happily look book. up Richard's I'm telling you, It was this, you got, you know, when you got your Nintendo, you could subscribe to this <laughs> magazine and they sent you this uh. book of all the maps of all the games. And all God, the secret codes even. and everything. So you could like win a game in, in an hour as opposed to like Man. three weeks. <laughs> it must have been nice to be so talented that you could just spend an entire day on Nintendo. I unfortunately was third chair and didn't have that kind of time. So I had to actually practice. I'm done with all you. Right. Done so with we need some intro and Fine. outro beats, everyone. Uh, Mike is not allowed to play the beats anymore. <laughs> mm. <laughs> We are no longer hey. friends. <laughs> we, are, we are done. I'm not allowed to throw down some heat. Uh, that's fine. I want to hear you guys. And please, don't be shy. Just play a beat. What, an intro beat is not supposed to be a drum solo. An outro beat is not supposed to be a drum solo. Just play a groove. Yeah, just play a Record groove. it with your phone. We'll check it out. Yeah, I feel like we might have been uh, scaring people off with the production quality, which is amazing. I'm glad so many of you have produce really great sounding intros and outros but just anything and everything is is acceptable so send your your grooves to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com let us know what you're playing um, send it as an mp3 attachment but if you can also as a downloadable link to dropbox or we transfer or something uh, we want to hear from you love it all right everybody have a great week go practice your drums work on stuff tag mike and i and hashtag modern drummer podcast and anything you're posting on instagram that you want us to see we love seeing what you guys are working on but until then have a great day see you next time just want to tell you feeling so fine just want to taste you Sure you don't mind